Well, it's a beautiful morning. Wow. And you've been enjoying the spiritual feast that the Lord has prepared during the day. You have been blessed. You have been drawn to Him. Well, it's a privilege to be here amongst people who love the Lord and are committed to Him. The Holy Spirit is glad and happy to be in a place where people's vessels are open, where he doesn't have to take a screwdriver and try to pry in, but just voluntarily, the lives lay open before the Lord. Well, let's have prayer and ask the Lord to be our good God and to be with us. We know he's already here. Loving Father in heaven, we thank thee for this glorious, beautiful morning the day of preparation for thy wonderful Sabbath day, the day of love with the living God and fellowship with thy people. We thank thee that we can come together today to study the word of God, the living word that brings life and strength and vision and a future and also opens to us the pathway of service today right here. So we thank thee for hearing prayer. We thank thee for loving us and for having a great interest in our salvation, in our lives, in our service for King Jesus. Bless this service this morning. Each heart, fill us to our capacity. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're talking about spiritual gifts, and I would like to read Ephesians 4 to just remind us of the setting from which we are thinking and working and studying. Ephesians 4 and there I'd like to read verses 8 and 11 through 16. Ephesians 4, verse 8. Wherefore, he says, when he ascended up on high, he led, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. We're talking yesterday about the resurrection ascension to heaven. When the sacrifice was accepted... All heaven rejoiced and said, we will bless these people. Jesus is the Savior. And the Holy Spirit was sent to make Jesus real in their lives. Then 11 through 16. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. And then in Corinthians we read, he gave many other service-oriented gifts. Why did he give them? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God and unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now that's a lot there, isn't it? <laughs> to edify us, to build us into the fullness of Jesus Christ. The Father dwelt fully in the Son. And Jesus prayed in John 17, that he might dwell fully in our lives. That's quite a fantastic uh, possibility and reality. So yesterday we looked at the nature of spiritual gifts. Uh, what is a gift like? What's the point? Tying two lovers together, so to speak, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the gifts that elaborated and opened up the plan of salvation and made it practical in their lives. We looked at the fact that natural talents, acquired talents, education, uh, your personality, and the spiritual endowments are all given by a loving God. It's not like just 
over here, you know, the spiritual things are given. Over here, we are born with these. But they all are given by God and all are committed by the Christian to the Lord to be filled, every capacity to be filled by the Holy Spirit in equipping for living and for service. Now today we like to look at the wonderful phenomenon of how all these diverse gifts that God has given us interact with one another by the guidance of the Holy Spirit in the local church. And we know in Corinth, <laughs> they had some problems. And today in our churches, big problems. And why is that? Well, we'll look at it today. So there are five key words. Uh, you can kind of number them off. And hopefully by the time I come to five, uh, we still have five minutes left. <laughs> so I try to keep it a little shorter today, see how we'll do. The five key words that help us to understand the process of the spiritual gifts in the local church. Number one is vitality. Linger in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit would be put upon you with the spiritual gifts and you receive power. Now, we talk about the ladies here in church here. Various people have spoken about it. It's a church that is not uh, described and, and, and evident of, with a lot of power. Now, some places here and some places there, but the church in general, Laodicea, is not really a church that's very much alive. The brother talked about the cold water. <laughs> I was thinking, maybe we need some hot water, <laughs> you know, <laughs> as well. Well, maybe the fermentation, spiritual fermentations, <laughs> hot and cold, you know what I mean? And maybe they'll bring, uh, you know, kill the germs and bring spiritual vitality. We live in an age of rationalism. Education, theory, philosophy, uh, materialism, going after the things of the world and building, and some people just focus, that's all they see, even Christians. And God kind of, you know, is on the edges here and there, he's kind of brought in, but that's not the main focus of many Christians today. It's, uh, you know, the good things of life, let's enjoy life. God wants us to enjoy life. Yes, he does. But he doesn't want us to focus on the material things. And then we live in an age of individualism. You know, uh, that's a problem because many people say when it comes to truth, well, the way everybody sees it, you know, is that how you see it? Well, that's the truth for you. That's the kind of God you see? Well, that's your God. And, and this individualism that's also expressed in many churches, you know, uh, the everybody's just interested in their own little territory. Now, in this kind of an atmosphere, many people don't have a great sense of responsibility to their brother and sister. Whether it's in the church, oh well, everybody comes and goes. Or the community, oh well, we hope the Lord will touch the heart somewhere along the way. It would be nice if they went to heaven too. But we're more interested in ourselves. That's the individualistic you know, perspective. And it's very strong today in the world. Narcissism, people call that. Well, I read a fantastic story. And I'm sorry that I'm going to give you my best story first. <laughs> it's like eating the dessert first. But to illustrate this point, because our whole study today is kind of hinging on this important point of our concern for our brother and sister. How much do we care? Does anybody care? The Holy Spirit and the spiritual gifts are designed 
to express the care of the body, not just the church, the body of Jesus Christ. Does anybody care? They didn't care at Calvary. Do we care today? Jesus died alone. Is he living alone today? Well, some time ago, uh, uh, Kevin was driving the bus for a group of people from Muskegon, Michigan, uh, to Chicago, to go sh- group full of ladies, a uh, bus full of ladies, to go shopping. Uh, they had an early start. The sun was just lighting up the eastern sky as they were traveling, when over the CB came a message. Is there anybody who knows first aid? There's a terrible accident. A car hit the approach of uh, South Haven exit, flipped, rolled down into Danish Ridge. And Kevin said, yeah, sure enough, I've been a paramedic for a couple of years. My first aid kid is right sitting next to me in the chair. Should I stop? Stop for an accident? I've got all these ladies who want to go shopping. It could take a minute or two, or it could take hours. What shall I do? And the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, stop. So he uh, guided carefully the bus to the side, falling highway, and stopped and jumped out, took his first aid kit, and made his way down through the crowd, elbowing his way down the embankment, down there, sure enough, there it was, upside down in a drainage ditch. As he got there, the uh, truck driver was already there spraying the car because it caught on fire. And uh, he said to Kevin, uh, she's down there underneath the car. Check the pulse. Yes, I did. There's no pulse. Too bad. She didn't make it. So he said, now you take the fire extinguisher, I'll go and call for help. So he walked up a little ways and called for help, and Kevin looked, and he thought, well, he should bend down and check it for himself. So he kneeled down and took the arm out of the water and felt the pulse, and there was nothing there. So he said, too bad, she's gone. Well, call for help, tell the ambulance not to hurry. While this happened, he had noticed that a lady was standing next to him who spoke up and said, I know that lady under there. That is Leah Morris. Leah Morris and I, we work in the same factory. Leah Morris. Kevin jumped up. Fire went through his vein. He got red in his face. He jumped to take the car underneath and called the truck driver, don't just stand there, give me a hand. This is Leah. She is my sister. We must save her. And those, those two strong men lifted that Buick of Leah, got it on the side, one more push, it was back on its wheels. And Kevin went down and dragged Leah out of the water, upside down, got the mud and stuff out of her mouth and started CPR and he knew how to do it. Push, 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 you know, one, two, three. Push again, push again, push again. Leah, you got to make it. God brought me here not just to watch you die. And, oh, Lord, help me. Save my sister. And he pushed and pushed and pushed. And all of a sudden he saw, he heard a little, saw a little breath. And he took the pulse. She has the pulse. And he called to the truck driver, go, call an ambulance. Tell them to hurry. 
a fantastic story. The ambulance arrived and Kevin followed. They got another truck driver, a uh, bus driver, to take the ladies to the Chicago and he followed the ambulance to the hospital. And she lay between heaven and death, you know what I mean? But uh, after several days, the fever left her and uh, she got well and was discharged. She and Kevin, a few weeks later, drove back to that site at South Haven Exit. I have the picture. There they stood and looked down on the embankment. The railing had been replaced. There were no signs of the accident. But Kevin stood there and thought about the picture and reflected upon what happened, that it was his privilege to save his own sister. But the one thing that haunted him and that bothered him a lot, when he first arrived, that person was just another statistic. Highway statistic. Too bad was the attitude. Too bad. They're all going to be lost. What if that lady hadn't stood there and said, this is Leah, Leah, and identified her? Well, Kevin learned a tremendous lesson from this tremendous experience. He wrote that he got a new insight into the value of a human being. Even those whom society tends to ignore, and he talks about ghetto children, prisoners, unwed mothers, homeless wanderers, all are part of God's family. They're all God's children. They're all bought by the blood of the Lamb. And since all are God's children, every person I meet is my brother and my sister, especially those of the household of faith. Vitality comes to the church when we see ourselves as children, brothers and sisters to King Jesus. We are one family, and it does matter who's under the car. They're all God's children. Every person in the church, and one of the brothers today, you know, this week mentioned that uh, there are sinners to be saved in the church. And if I get it right to have the church, it's not going to make it through the pearly gates. Not because God doesn't love them, but the attractions of the world are so strong, and they're not committed. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible picture. I think about colleges where we teach, you know, how many of the students of Jesus came today would welcome him? Mission field. But we think always of, you know, out there, out there. No, close by. So the first one, spiritual gifts should bring us vitality when we realize we are part of the body of Christ and we have a function in that body and that's our responsibility to our brother and sister in the church. Now, another important word describing the effects of spiritual gifts is unity. Here in Ephesians we read that all these gifts are given to uh, perfect the saints. Now, the word perfect means like growth in maturity. Uh, for the work of the ministry, the edifying of the body, till we all come to the fullness and the, and the stature of the fullness of Jesus Christ. Unity is a big item. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I hear that there are contentions amongst you. And you know where there's contention, there cannot be progress and hard work. Because your energy is diverted. 
and you only have so much energy. And if the energy is spent on contentions, you can't use that on building up the body. So contentions are bad in our personal lives, you know, disunity in our minds and frustrations and so on, as well as disunity in the church. Now, I found something here in the April Review and Herald. They reported a survey that was taken of pastors and churches and discovered some very interesting and sad, sad results. The survey found that more than one out of four churches have severe conflicts in the church involving the behavior of church members. Then another third reported moderate conflict, so even more. One out of seven churches reported severe conflict with the pastor's personal behavior. And the one in seven reported severe conflict over the pastor's you know, oper operate, the way he operates in the church, his uh, administrative style. One in seven churches reported severe conflict over worship styles. <laughs> I can see that. You know, uh, it seems like there may even be more than one in seven. There was severe conflict over finances and church budgets. So on and on. I couldn't believe it. What's the point? Why is there so much conflict in the churches? And I know just across the board, there's conflict in so many different churches. Spiritual gifts are to bring Christ, produce unity. At Pentecost, they were all united. They weren't fussing and fighting. They all stopped. They all surrendered to Jesus Christ. And the common denominator tied them all together through the power of the Holy Spirit. And of course, spiritual gifts at that part. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, I read about there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. This idea of everybody's own is not, spirit, it's, it's not biblical. We have been given individual gifts, you know, everyone different gifts, but not everybody is his own. The gifts are tying us together. They shouldn't be separating us. Till we all come to the unity. Everything is one, one God, one Father. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, there's power in unity unto a perfect man. Someone to arrive at unity by giving up the, the doctrines. I've gone to Sabbath school when somebody spoke up and said, we've got to forget the 28 beliefs if we're going to have unity. I fell out of my chair. That's been my life work. I raised my hand. I said, do you want to destroy my 45 years of service? That's been my work, you know, teaching? To show the beauty of Jesus to the revelation of his word? They don't know what they're talking about. The doctrine is Jesus. A revelation of Jesus Christ. Tell me a doctrine that's not revealing Jesus. Oh yeah, my, my weak, sinful life sometimes, I misrepresent the teachings. I misrepresent Jesus. Of course, yes, I do that sometimes. I ask for forgiveness. But every teaching is a teaching of Jesus. The word of God is the word of God, not my word. Unity that's based on giving up doctrines like the ecumenical movement is unity in the dark. It's not Christ's kind of unity. Christ's kind of unity came through the blood of Jesus Christ by surrender and sacrifice, giving up some of the pet peeves or the pet ideas that I may have that are side issues and sticking to the word of God, 
the wonderful teachings of his word that reveal his love and his sacrifice. Some, some would like to arrive at unity through diplomacy. Well, let's sit down and talk this over. And I'll have a story for you in a minute on that one. Unity doesn't come through diplomacy around a table. Unity comes by surrender to the one spirit that is willing to give us the gifts to tie us together. It's surrender that brings victory. You know, now, one Sabbath morning, this is terrible. I preached a sermon, and after the sermon, there were two men outside the church on the sidewalk that were ready to have a fist fight. I said, all the good the sermon did, I better preach some different kinds of sermons. When people are able to do that, just outside the door, I'm glad they didn't do it inside. But just about as bad. So later in the afternoon, they came to me. One of them called me up and said, Elder Roski, could we get together with Miss you? We have a little problem here, two of us. We like to talk it over. Oh, I thought, oh no, this could be bad news. Sometimes when you try to help people to smooth things out, it just blows up. And then I could read in the newspaper, Pastor Roski from the Seventh-day Adventist Church, bloody nose, black eye, trying to solve a problem of two brethren. So I asked the elder to come on Sunday, and uh, they did come to my house. I didn't have an office. The church didn't have an office. Anyhow, we sat down, and so the brethren want to start telling, you know, diplomacy, talking. And the Holy Spirit impressed me, and I prepared for this, and I studied the Bible and prayed a lot that that would not happen. So I said, brother, I don't think there's any point in telling me the story about the other brother, because you know what? I love you, and I love him too. I'm the shepherd for both of you, and I love all my sheep. And he started in and said, brother, there's no point. No matter how bad you will make him look, I'm going to love him just the same. And so does Jesus. So what I recommend <laughs> is that we let Jesus come in our lives this morning and surrender our lives fully to him. And then use some illustrations from Ellen White. If one of you were in the casket right here in my study, the other one would not say one single bad word about him. Why can't we do it while we're alive? And so I shared thoughts from the Word of God and said, I'll tell you what I think we like to, I like to do, if it's okay with you. i like to surrender my life to Jesus this morning again as your pastor. Would you be willing to surrender your life? Why don't we pray? The elder pray first. You pray and surrender to Jesus. Open your heart again today and ask Jesus, take away your sin, come in. And if you would be so kind to do that, and I will do that too. So we knelt down and prayed. It was quite a prayer meeting after about 20 minutes of studying the Word. And the elder prayed a wonderful prayer. Then one of the brothers prayed, and he prayed a wonderful <laughs> prayer of forgiveness and love. And the other br brother prayed the same prayer, choking up, tears streaming down their face. And I had a prayer of thanksgiving to God for the blood of Jesus Christ that brings unity. Those brothers opened their eyes when we're done, on their knees, hugging each other like two brothers. Unity based on the blood of Jesus Christ. 
Okay, another point is uh, unity is diversity, right? Cover it all. Uh, spiritual gifts are diverse. Everyone has been given a special gift. And someone has said, the differences make the difference. In married life, it's that way. Opposite attract. Is it good or bad? It's good. How long is it good? As long as there's love. The very things that attract each other, the opposite attractions, are the causes for divorce in many homes when love goes out the window. The very things that enrich the lives of people by introducing additional elements and resources than that person has him or herself. And that's the way it's in the church. The diversity in the church is a blessing that God has given to the church. The complementary and supplementary forces that are all working. What if everybody was like me? The Bible says if everybody were an eye. Oh, we sure could see. We could see from here to China if the whole church were an eye. But we would never go anywhere because we'd have no feet. If the whole body were feet, no, I don't want to talk about that. That would really be, could be ugly. But, but some of the other, you know, body members. Unity does not mean uniformity. Somebody says if two people are exactly alike, one is unnecessary. Well, yes or no. You double the resources in this area, you know. But if God's a God of diversity, you know, and those two snowflakes are alike, then, then he likes diversity. He likes people to be different and have different resources. He can fill them with the Holy Spirit and enrich. It's an enriching experience, an expanding experience. And yet the devil comes and makes diversity something, something bad. The Corinthian church was torn by diversity uh, because they felt that their gift was more important to the church than somebody else's gift. And so Paul writes to them that this is impossible in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, what if the whole body would just be what you are? What if the whole world, everybody was just like you? Well, some may think that's a good idea. But when you really think about it, no, it would not be a good idea. I'm glad that not everyone is like I am. You know, blustery and so on. It's nice to have enthusiasm, nice to have life and blustery, but I wouldn't want everybody to be that way. I appreciate the, the gentle, the kind, the reserved. I appreciate, I admire them. They're God's people. They add something to my life to balance out. You know, there's a story that's told about stone soup. Have you heard that story? It's an ancient story. A man was traveling through the country, came to a little village. While he was entering the village, people opened their windows and looked, and there he saw the stranger. Who? They were worried. Start locking their doors. What's this man want? He said, what do you want? What do you want, stranger? Oh, well, I'm looking for a place to sleep tonight. And before that, I'm looking for a nice warm meal before I go to bed. We have no food. Our children are starving. Uh, just go on. He says, no, well, we can't help you with anything. He said, that's okay. I have everything. So uh, I don't need, you know, a whole lot from you. And so he went over there in the middle of the square where people could see him. And he got out his little pot, and he put water into it. And then uh, he made a fire to heat the water. And then he got his little silver sack out that he had, the tiny little one, and took out a stone and put it in the pot. 
And then he started sniffing this, 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 uh, this concoction. And oh, oh, he started talking to himself. Oh, this is going to be a wonderful meal. This is just going to be really great. I like this, uh, this uh, stone soup. Oh, and the people opened their windows. They started hearing him talk about soup. They said, food. Oh, there might be some food. Uh, and so they, some of them kind of came closer to where he was. And he said, oh, well, my soup, wouldn't it be great if uh, I had a little, uh, a little cabbage added to my stone soup? <laughs> and so somebody heard that. So they ran and found a secret place where they're hiding a little, little cabbage. And they brought it and put it into the stone soup and stirred it. And, and he said, oh, I just love this stone soup, this cabbage. And uh, wouldn't it be great if I had a little salt beef before vegetarianism came in? <laughs> you know, this is about 100 years old. And, and somebody heard that. And so the butcher thought, well, man, I have got a few scraps, I think. And so he ran home, cleaned up. Sure enough, he found a few little scraps of meat. And they, he threw that in. And, uh, and it got uh, better and better. And, and the stranger said, Oh, wow, I like my stone soup, you know, with cabbage and a little salt meat. And, uh, and you know, wouldn't it be great if, we, if there were some onions in there? I would like that, too. Onions. Somebody ran and got the onions. And then he said, oh, I like my stone soup, you know. A uh, uh, little uh, cabbage uh, and, and uh, meat and, and now onions. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if I had a... A potato uh, to, to enrich my stone soup. And somebody ran, and sure enough, they found a couple of little potatoes, put those in. And so it went on and on until he had a wonderful pot of soup. And all the villagers came and joined in and were blessed by the stone soup. So they wanted to buy his stone because it was a magical stone, they thought. That makes this wonderful soup. And uh, he said, no, can't sell it. I might need it in the next village. And so he left. <laughs> yeah, that's quite an object lesson to this. Everyone contributing what God has given will enrich and feed the flock. Um, another important point that uh, spiritual gifts will bring is maturity. Paul concludes, this, this is a powerful one, Paul concludes chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, listing all the wonderful spiritual gifts. And let me refresh your memory. Tongues of angels. If you speak with tongues of angels, wow, that'd be a tongue. If you had the gift of prophecy, well, we do, don't we? Yeah. If you had the understanding, you know, of mysteries, all knowledge, all faith, that could move mountains, wealth to give to the poor, and even if you give your body to be burned, you become a martyr. After all of these wonderful gifts, I tell you, there is even a more excellent way. I can't believe it. Yet I show you a more excellent way. And that more excellent way 
It's the love of God. If I do not have love, for for gift of prophecy will fade away, and the other things will fade away. If I do not have love, I become like a crash in the orchestra with a cymbal by itself, poor m- music, you know, but within the body, it's wonderful. Prophecy fails, tongues shall cease, knowledge shall vanish, all of this, but love never fails. Love will never fail. It's too bad that so often we think of 1 Corinthians 13, only the poem that we read for weddings. We should be reading it every week, Ellen White mentions. So, the maturity level. How does the Lord equip us for maturity? How, this fourth point, how do we grow in maturity? You know, perfection means maturity towards Christ. Well, let's look at a couple, two, three points. The Lord has given us tools to grow in maturity. Number one is the Word of God. Timothy 3, 16 and 17, 1 Timothy 3. In verse 17 it says that the man of God may be perfect or mature, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And we'll talk about that tomorrow morning, about the fruit of the Spirit. Furnished for fruit. You know, you get out the computer what you put in. And so how do we get equipped? Well, the Bible says the Word of God, in verse 16, all Scripture is inspired of God uh, to the work of God. The battle today is over the Bible. It's over the Bible, in the church, outside the church. There are people who are wandering away into the culture and let the culture determine what truth is. The Bible is our foundation. Creation. The Ten Commandments. The Sermon on the Mount. The Three Angels' Messages. The Word of God today is under fire. Satan wants to destroy the living Word that brings eternal life to the soul. So one way we grow in maturity is reading and studying the Bible. Does God really mean what he says? To put ourselves solidly on God's word. And if you do that, you will be considered a fanatic and a conservative. Even in our church in some places. The believer reads and meditates and follows the Bible will grow. That's the food that grows the Christian into the image of Jesus. The next one, another tool of uh, maturity is fellowship, Sabbath school. Do you realize that few and fewer people come to Sabbath school? The average church, if there's a membership of 200, guess how many come to church Sabbath morning? 100. That used to be uh, the non-Avenist world was operating that way. In my church, I had 80, 90% of the church members in church every Sabbath morning in the early days, in the 60s. That's all changed. The fellowship is not appreciated because everybody wants to go his own way. You know, but God has given us the fellowship of the church. We should not neglect, Paul says in Hebrews, because we are missing the dynamic. We're missing the inspiration from a brother and from a sister that we get when we sit next to them in Sabbath school and in church. That something happens to see each other serving God and loving the Lord. So that's really most important. Radio, television, books, and so on are fine, and God is using them. But if we miss out on the fellowship of the church, we're missing out a big item. Okay, another one, which is really a big one, is prayer. An important spiritual tool to maturity. Andrew Murray, have you seen the book, The Believer's Prayer Life? Fantastic little book. Fantastic. He speaks of the Christian's need to overcome one of the most common sins. Do you know what that would be? 
prayerlessness. Prayerlessness is a sin, he says, that needs to be overcome. Then Bob Sorge is a writer. He wrote the book, The Secret of the Secret Place, about prayer. And he talks about the causality of prayer. One chapter is about, some people don't believe that. Some people think prayer just psychs people up. I don't believe that. Prayer is the key that God gives to us to unlock heaven. We can leave heaven shut or we can leave the doors open. It depends on us to a large extent. And here we have the privilege to connect with the living God. We've got the key, but we don't unlock the door. So he believes, and I believe too, that things happen when you pray that otherwise would not happen, would be undone. That's why Jesus says, pray. Jesus says, pray. Jesus says, pray. You know, I was studying that when a friend of mine said, oh, seek prayer. doesn't do anything to God. It does to me. But God has chosen to let us be involved. Not that we are more important than God. It's like, I want my son to do this job. I have given him that privilege to make an important decision with me and for me. I've given him, empowered him. God has empowered us to do certain things. He's honored when children will do something wonderful for him that he will do to them, but they make the choice. One of the most profound ways of loving someone is by praying for them. Intercession joins the heart of the intercessor with the heart the one that's prayed for. We will meet at God's throne and are blended and blended in God's throne through intercessory prayer. Our intercessory prayers become cords of affection, which bind the hearts of a believer to one another, joining the body of Christ together in the greatest of all virtues, love. Prayer is the immunity system of the body of Christ. Through prayer, we fight off the germs and the invasive forces that would destroy and attack God's body. Keep away the spiritual disease. Now, the, the, the last tool God uses to mature his children is suffering. In 1 Peter, it talks about we'll have to suffer a little while. And after that, we'll have the victory. Oh, that's wonderful. Pearl. Have you heard about pearl? One of the scriptural symbols for the process of suffering is pearl. Pearl is found within an oyster which has experienced the distress of a foreign particle of sand getting stuck in its shell. Pearl represents the eternally valuable change God wants to see in us. He wants us to be a pearl. Not too many pearls without suffering in the oyster shell. None. The longer the irritant resides within the oyster shell, the more valuable the pearl. The hotter the fire, the purer the gold. In the end, God's children will go through some suffering, but Jesus will be with them. And he will perfect them and mature them and cleanse them and purify them to make them, you know, into gold. <laughs> That's wonderful. Pearl. Elias point of the four, we talked about vitality, unity, diversity, maturity. One more is ministry. I keep that short because ministry is obvious. Ministry is the overall purpose of every endowment. Every spiritual gift is ministry. In a way, Jesus came to this planet, the Bible says, not to be ministered unto. He is the king of the universe, but to minister. 
and to redeem his people, give his life as a ransom for many. We must do the same. Concluding story. During World War II, a church in Strasbourg, France, was destroyed by the bombing. Nothing remained except a heap of rubble, broken glass, so the people thought. Until they began clearing away the rubble and the masonry and so on, the cement, they found a statue of Jesus still standing. In spite of all the bombing, it was unharmed except for one thing. The hands were blown away. So eventually the rebuilding program began in the church. And one day a sculptor came by and saw this and he offered to take care of the problem. He says, can I carve two new hands for you for this wonderful statue? The church officials met and considered his offer. Finally came down and turned down the, the sculptor. Decided to accept his offer. Why? Because the members of the church said, our broken statue touches the spirit of man. It's an inspiration to us because it has no hands to minister to the needy or to feed the hungry or to enrich the poor. It has no hands but our hands. He inspires and we perform. Christ has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in God's way. He has no tongue but our tongue to tell men why he died. He has no help but our help to bring souls to his side. Lord, here I am. My hands, my feet, my eyes, my tongue, my all. Empowered with your energy and with your Holy Spirit and let the people see Jesus. Loving Father in heaven, we thank thee for the quiet moments of this beautiful morning. We thank thee for the word of God. We thank thee that thou hast not just given us an assignment, but thou hast also promised the power. Thou hast always promised yourself, your glory, your character, your spirit, to get it done. This morning we give our lives to thee again, thanking thee for this wonderful privilege to be co-workers with the Lord Jesus Christ, with the heavenly angels, and with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.